have two things to talk about before we get started this morning. The first one is uh, redemption groups are, uh, the applications for that are due today. So if you've taken an application, taken, took, take, I don't know. If you, if you took an application, but I can't say tooken because that's not right. If, if you have an application, uh, it's due today, fill it out, drop it off in the back. Uh, they're praying over uh, the applications this week to see, you know, which of those are going to be accepted to go through it. So if you've got one, please fill it out and bring it. And the second thing I want to talk about is, and, and this is just a short little side note, has really nothing to do with my message today, except that, guys, we as believers if you believe in Jesus, need to be the message to the world of the goodness and the grace of God. Okay? There are people out there who like to try and say one race is better than another race. That is evil. It is wrong. Um, and we will never come together as a people until we understand that everyone is the human race that we are made in the image of God. And if we are all made in the image of God, then that means we are all one race. So we have to start thinking this way. Too often, we will look at people like, you know, happened back east, you know, last week, and we start to think, oh, those people, and they are, they, they are messed up. But you have to understand, they're broken. They're broken. And so, yes, we stand against the things that they say and the things that they do, but we also should be a people who pray for them because they're broken. Do you understand when the, when the Christian church started, it started with a bunch of Jewish people who didn't want to have anything to do with Gentiles. You know what the majority of us are? Gentiles. Exactly. And God is the one who got them over that in the person of Jesus Christ. We also must be a people who live with our focus upon the goodness and the gospel of Jesus Christ so we can bring reconciliation and healing to the world in which we are. So, instead of getting on crazy debates on Facebook, why don't we begin to live lives that bring about what we want to see now? So when you see these people who are broken, pray for their brokenness. Yes, stand against the evil things they say and the evil things that they do. But we should also be people who pray for them because ultimately what's going to solve this is people coming to worship our great and our good God. And so we need to be people, people who lift that up as well. So, hey, welcome to Element if you're new. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about, some questions. You can either ask some of your friends or your family, or if you're in a gospel community, you ask that in the gospel community, and you start to go a little bit deeper as well into figuring some of this stuff out. If you have a smartphone, uh, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on Live in Uversion. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, and it says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us as a people to live out the life that you have given to us. That we wouldn't see our faith as just being a personal faith, but a faith that is meant to be seen by everybody. That we are to live out in communities that honor you by what we say and what we do. So teach us to live out that life in all life situations, so that you are glorified and we as your people live in much joy. Amen. Have a seat. 
All right, so today is our last in our series that we have been calling What in the World Part 2. Part 2 is where we answered the questions that you guys sent in and asked us about the Bible, God, Christianity. Uh, if you have hated this series, today is your holiday because it is the last one. You can celebrate and be woohoo. Next week we start the book of Ruth. Okay, did, didn't know if you guys were into that either. Be like, and Ruth, what? I'll come back at Christmas. I like that one, but whatever, okay. <laughs> we, have, we have answered at this point upwards of 30 different questions, whether it's in sermons or online in, in our blogs, and I save this one till today because I don't have a definitive answer for you. This is one of those ones you're going to have to leave and pray about and ask God what He really wants you to do. Uh, so I'm going to give you a bunch of information, some stuff that I researched and, and looked up, and you get to pray. Uh, we, we have things at Element that we believe are close-handed and open-handed issues. Close-handed issues are things that we just will not fight about. They are true, period. Uh, we are all made in the image of God. We are the human race. That's a close-handed issue. Uh, Jesus is God, close-handed issue. He died, he rose from the grave for our salvation, close-handed issue. Open-handed issues are things like uh, Calvinism versus Arminianism. Okay, it's an open-handed issue. Like, what does it even mean? Great, it's really open-handed for you. Uh, <laughs> e- egalitarianism and complementarianism, how men and women are in relationship with one another, really an open-handed issue. Uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, is there a trib? What does it even mean? Open-handed issue. Okay, open-handed. And so today when we go through this, this is going to be an open-handed issue. Here is the what in the world question. The Catholic Church, that's not the open hand, the Catholic Church just released direction to Catholics about what they can and can't do with cremated ashes in order for the soul to be ready when Jesus returns. I thought the body is just a shell that gets left behind. What does it matter what is done to it? Burial or cremation? Scattered ashes versus buried versus hung on the mantle. What does the Bible actually say about this and what do Christian churches believe versus the Catholic Church? Well, first off, it's not a versus thing. It's not an us versus them in this. And today I might just just end up confusing you by the end, and I'm really sorry if that happens, because there isn't one view that the Christian church actually holds in this. Uh, There are godly people who I love to read, who are scholarly on both sides of this issue, so I'm going to talk about it. Today's not even going to seem like a sermon to you. It's going to be like, well, I didn't even go to church. It felt like it was, let's have a talk with Aaron. It's going to be weird, okay? So I'm really sorry if you're coming today and expecting to hear like this really deep sermon. It's just going to, yeah, we'll see where this goes. Okay, so death has really always been accepted as a negative event. Uh, Death is not meant to be seen as as it is like by Disney and the Lion King as the circle of life. Uh, Death in the scriptures is not treated as natural. We are a people who are meant to hate death because death is our enemy. Death comes upon the human race because of our own sin. In Genesis, we are told that God created all things and he creates all things good. And that means that God gets to determine what is the good, what is beautiful, what is pure, what is right. God determines all of those things. He says to us what is beneficial. And then God takes this man that he creates and he places this man in a garden. God fashions this man with his own hands. He sculpts him and makes him in his image. He breathes his very own breath into the nostrils of this man to make him alive. And then he instructs this man on those good things 
things and on those right things as he places them in that garden. And then what God does is he will separate things for the man. That word separate is very important. God separates what is light and what is dark. God separates what is truth and what is lies. God separates what is death and what is life as he places him in this garden. And you have to see that the man isn't technically part of the garden. He's fashioned and he's placed within the garden to nurture, to take care of the beauty that it is. The man lives in the garden by the goodness and the grace of God. And the man is given a command where God says, trust me, exercise some self-restraint. Don't dishonor your relationship with who God is. Do what is good. Flee from what is not good. And the whole idea is that God is the one who knows what is good. And people were meant to trust that God knew what was actually good. And so he tells the man, you can do great harm to yourself and the creation around you by not trusting me. And what happens is the man goes in and what does he do? He ceases to trust God. He breaks the relationship with God. The culture that was supposed to follow who God is, mankind went the opposite direction of that. And what happens is man died. He separated himself from God in that relationship and stepped fully into death. He was separated. And that's really the biggest thing of what leads to death. God said, you sin, you die. Death is not simply the stopping of our hearts. Death is not the blood in your veins stopping to move around your body. Death is not the synapses in your brain stopping firing. Death is separation. You are separated from life and from God. In a physical sense, families become separated from those they love. That is why loss is so profound. And it's so hard to deal with many times. Many times it's unspeakable. The deceased are separated from the ability to make choices that can affect their eternal destiny. That's why the moment of now is so important. And if you've been to some funerals in, in the last few years, a lot of times funerals become places that can become very morbid because they are separated from any type of life whatsoever. And so what we do is we try to make them not feel that way. And so we, they employ people at funeral homes to paint people so they don't look so dead. Because we don't be like, oh, they're not... They're sleeping. No, they're dead, right? But we paint them to not look like that. And everyone's a bit uncomfortable at funerals because we all have something in us which fears the prospect of death. We feel this overwhelming pressure to reassure one another. We'll, we'll laugh like at weird jokes. We will we'll say, we'll, we'll dress a little bit differently than we normally do even going to church. We'll dress nicer going to a funeral, which I, I do too, so I'm not saying it's you. But, but the point is, at some point, we are all going to die. We are all going to die, and it's not going to be pretty. And everything that you hope for may actually be lost and gone forever. Even if you're a believer and, and your soul goes to live with Jesus forever, what you, uh, what, the time that you wasted in this life, you can never get back. You can never get back. And so for mankind in the garden, they had this sin where they separated themselves, and they began to live in death. And initially, this death is a spiritual one, but that spiritual one then goes over into the physical reality, body, soul, and spirit. The body suffered. It took on the properties of corruption. It begins to decay. It begins to count its existence in time and leads to eventual physical death. And that becomes the origin of an issue. What do you then do with a body that expires? What's to be done with a dead body? Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
And so over the years, there's all these factors that lead into what do you do with this body after death. The factors include the wealth of an individual, the status of the individual, the climate of a country, health, sanitation, aesthetics, and religious beliefs. And embedded into all of that is this thing that comes down to burial versus cremation. What do you do? And the Bible... However, as we talk about this, like the what in the world question, the Bible nowhere really answers the question to the proper method of burial or I mean, of disposal. More religious questions are always asked about the right to destroy bodies. People have stopped autopsies because of religious beliefs. Oh, you can't cut up a body like that. And so the short what in the world answer to this is the Bible really remains silent on the correct technique. Do you bury? Do you burn? What do you do? The the Bible nowhere says, this is what you shall do. The 11th commandment, thou shalt bury your body. Thus says the Lord. It doesn't say that in there. So if you look back through the course of history, what you'll see is the ancient world essentially had four known methods for what they did with bodies after they died. And the Bible kind of speaks to each one of these. Uh, There is cremation. Uh, cremation was the practice of the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, they believed that the immortality of the soul, and they saw no reason to give the body any special attention whatsoever. Uh, Hindus today, almost all of them are cremated because they believe in this idea of reincarnation. Uh, the opposite other side of that is a thing called mummification, which the Egyptians followed because it's like, this is your vessel, this is your body, we've got to preserve that forever. And they do. And it makes for great summer blockbusters, like, ooh, scary mummy movie. But, you know, it's kind of weird, okay? Uh, the third thing people did was they dismembered bodies. And sometimes this was cannibalism, but sometimes it was because they wanted to venerate a body. Uh, for years and years, you could go visit the finger bones of saints or the skulls of certain saints or the feet of this person. Or they would take and they dismember these bodies and send them everywhere. You got this really weird thing where these two things come together with dismemberment and mummification in Russia. Uh, you have Lenin's body. Okay, so Lennon's body at this point is 146 years old, doesn't look a day over 53. You. It, it, it doesn't. Russia spends $200,000 a year to keep that body looking like it did when it died. You can go visit Lennon. It's very creepy. Uh, and then the fourth thing is burial. If you go to the catacombs in Rome, you will see the early Christians insisted on burying their dead. Christian grave sites is actually where we get our word cemetery from because it was, it's the, it's the word that meant sleeping place because they believed in the resurrection of the dead. Early liturgies in Christian churches, they are always centered around the scriptures and prayers and hymns and almsgiving for the poor upon someone's funeral. And today, we do have a couple other things we do. People like uh, cryopreservation where they freeze your head or your body. I'm telling you, don't waste your money. You're not coming back. Okay. At least not that way. Okay. Uh, People uh, use taxidermy. They stuff their bodies. You can Google it. It's very creepy. I don't recommend it, but okay. You you can do that if you you want to. Uh, But suffice to say that throughout the ages, Christians were always, always concerned about the proper disposal of bodies. Always. Why? Well, there's four main reasons why this is. Number one, they believe, and we believe, that the body of every human is created by God. It bears his image, and so it deserves to be treated with respect because of this. The second reason is the centrality of the incarnation in Christian faith. When, when Jesus becomes flesh, God takes on human flesh. God is unique, made uniquely human in the person of Jesus, and so that is a bodily 
form. And so we say the body should be taken care of in this. Thirdly, we're told the Holy Spirit indwells the bodies of believers, making them vessels of honor. And fourthly, again, Jesus was buried and raised bodily from the dead. So Christians believe that their burial was a testimony and witness to the resurrection to come. Now, this does overlook the fact that a lot of Christians throughout the ages have been burned as as martyrs, but Christians believe that God could put that person back together at the resurrection. One of the earliest defenders of the Christian faith is a guy named Minucius Felix. I know you, you read all of his books. You're all caught up. Yeah. If you're having a baby, that's what you should name it. Minucius Felix. It's a great name. Great name. Felix means happy, by the way. Uh, anyway, so what he said was, we do not fear any loss from any mode of sepulture. And that's the idea. Of we, we don't worry about how we actually die or what happens to our bodies at, at that place. But he says, but we adhere to the old and better custom of burial. He says, when we can so choose what happens upon our death, we would rather have people buried. He said this because in the eyes of the early church, cremation was what pagans did. And he wanted to set themselves apart from everybody else. Burial seemed to be more lovely and more reverent way to bear witness to God's ultimate victory over sin and death. So what about today? What about today? Well, the first cremation in America took place in 1876. It was accompanied by readings from Charles Darwin and the Hindu scriptures. Kind of odd how it went together, but whatever. And so for many years, almost nobody was cremated in America. The one article I read said, only liberals and free thinkers chose cremation. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, okay. Um, that's, now, that's totally changed today. Uh, in 1962, 5% of Americans were cremated, and it skyrockets after this. 1999, 24.8%. 2014, 46.7%. In some states, it's over 75%. If you go to Japan, there's not a whole lot of land in Japan, if you don't know this. And so it's actually illegal to bury someone. So 98% of people in Japan are cremated. I don't know what happens to the other 2%. And I don't. I don't know if they get a ticket because they're dead. I don't know. I don't know. The thing with cremation, though, is a lot of people in that are looking for the cheapest solution of, of disposal. And again, guys, I know it doesn't sound like a sermon. I got it. I got it. But go with me. I'm hoping to get some more eventually with this. But let's go with cremation for a minute. These are the arguments that people give in favor of cremation. Uh, cremation is more economical. And that's very true. Uh, in 2013, the, the study I found said that an average burial is $6,000. And that doesn't even typically include the plot. That's just all the things that have to go into it. The average cost for cremation in 2013 was $1,500. That includes the urn and the place to put the person. So creation saves money. Second thing is cremation is ecologically more desirable. And that's a big deal in our culture today. It's green. (laughs) Right? So cremation saves valuable land. And it's argued as things become more scarce. You know, this is going to become more widely endorsed. And then lastly, they say cremation is therapeutic for mourners. Uh, William Phipps, who is a Christian, wrote a book called Cremation Concerns, and he advocates for Christian cremation. He writes this, Finding no value in slow decomposition, some see no point in having morticians temporarily arrest this inevitable process by replacing the blood with embalming fluid. Nor do they find comfort in being deceived by cosmetics into thinking the body is just sleeping. On the contrary, a clean incineration that quickly reduces the body of the deceased to its component elements can be therapeutic for mourners by expressing the final severance of the physical bond. There you go. I read you almost the entire book. You're welcome. Um, Now, I I don't know about you, but other people come along and they actually have arguments against every single one of these. Like uh, the, the economical argument. They say that can be really insensitive because what if you're poor? 
right? Do, do only the rich and the elite get burial and the poor all have to be cremated? That, that's terrible. And, and, you know, what is least expensive is not always right. Like, uh, light beer is cheap. It is not right, okay? I won't tell you. I, I am the person who, if, if, I'm not saying you have to drink, but if you do drink alcohol, it should not come in a plastic bottle and should not come in a box with a turkey on the side. It just should not happen. It should be worth your time. It should be worth your time because as believers, we don't drink to get drunk. You drink because it's a gift that God has given. If you're going to eat a hamburger, for the love of God, don't go to McDonald's. You don't even, that's like cardboard. Why would you eat? That's not, that's not meat. Have you seen the studies? You go to some place where they grind their meat and make it. That's where you eat a burger if you're going to... Whatever. I'm, okay. Norman Geisler once said this. He said, doing evil is often cheaper than doing good. Amen. Right? Sometimes the price has to be paid for doing what is right. And then he says, if one has the means for burial, then one ought to do it. He's not a fan of cremation, if you couldn't tell. Okay? Uh, the argument concerning land does have some legitimacy in certain places, in certain circumstances. But most places in the world, land is actually not that scarce. You can bury a thousand people on one acre. And that is not stacked. That is single-use graves. It's, it's not mausoleums. Single-use graves. And some people say the therapeutic argument actually can cut both ways. Because once you cremate somebody, you can't go back and take that decision back. It's, it's, it's just done. And so some people sometimes have guilt about cremating their loved ones. Uh, Alan Wolfett wrote that seeing the dead body challenges the natural wish to avoid the reality of death, while at the same time encouraging healthy acceptance of death. And his idea in that is that as Christians are supposed to look at death and realize it's our enemy. Death is a result of sin. We're supposed to hate it. We're not supposed to be happy about it. And so it enables us to actually, when we see the body, to think this is not right. And deciding what's best during a grieving process, they say, is not really the best time to make some of those decisions because at the end of it, you may actually feel guilty on the backside. And so some people will say there, there are dogmas like it's unscriptural for Christians to be cremated. The truth is it's really only the weight of Christian tradition that favors burial. The Bible nowhere actually condemns cremation itself. As far as the Catholic question goes, uh, the best I could find in 1963, the Roman Catholic Church permitted cremation while they say, in quotes, earnestly recommending burial as the preferred mode of disposal. Uh, Billy Graham said what I think most Christians believe is that cremation cannot prevent a sovereign God who is omnipotent from putting us back together again when he comes back. So just to be clear, the Bible cannot be used as a proof text either way to see burial is right or cremation is right. There's actually several examples in the Old Testament of people being cremated. Uh, Achan in Joshua 7, Saul in 1 Samuel 31, the king of Edom in Amos 2. They're all negative examples, but it doesn't always have to be a negative. So let me transition you here a bit, okay? You got all the burial cremation talk. Now let's talk about something else. I think the biggest problem we have today is how we want to run from the reality of death, how we want to hide ourselves from it and cover it up. I think the real question for Christians is not whether you're buried or cremated, but the meaning that we give to those acts, the meaning behind what we do. Our modern funeral customs, what they do is tend to remove us from death. So we will play soft music. Uh, there's nice plush carpets and, and there's expensive caskets. And the Presbyterian preacher, George Buttrick, once said this, and I love it. He said, there's nothing more incongruous than dressing up in a tuxedo. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I, thank you, Denise. <laughs> It's, and, and it's kind of true. Sometimes we can dishonor the dead by trying to run from the reality of what death actually is. 
But on the other side, cremation can do the exact same thing. Today, you can take people's cremains, and they will mix them with a piece of pottery or a piece of art. You can hang on the wall. Like, that's a little creepy as well. You know, what are you going to do with that? See, we're supposed to understand, again, death is our enemy. It's not what we were created for. We should hate it. The pangs of, of sadness that we feel when someone dies, that is sadness and anger over what sin has done in the world. One day, death is going to be destroyed, and we should hate it because it's not what we're intended for. But followers of Jesus, death is not just something that you have to kind of close your eyes to. Death can be this great thing that we talk about the reality, what God wants to bring into the world. Death shows the fallenness of the world. But we should also remember we have a God that stands above death, a God that brings us into life. A couple of years ago, my GC leader, his name is Donald, had one of his chickens die. Uh, it was his daughter Felicity's favorite. Its name was Sunflower. Here is a picture. He wrote a blog about it, so. Oh. No? You are heartless, people. Heartless. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Sunflower is one of those chickens. It was like a runt of the litter, but it, but it was skinny and small, but it had this great personality because if you're a runt, you know, you got to have a great personality, right? And so it would hang out with you. It would sit in your lap when you're in a chair in the backyard. And so my GC leader, he said, you know, how do I talk to my six-year-old daughter about this? It would be a great what-in-the-world question, but it went with this one really well. So d- does he tell her sunflowers in heaven? Does he say sunflower ran away? Don't ever tell your kids, that, oh, it ran away. Like, it hated you so much it had to run away. I mean, you don't, you don't say that. Like, or you know, I, do I tell her she, it went to live on a farm? <laughs> my mom did that with a dog when I was, oh, it went to live on the farm. And then I found out what it meant. And I'm like, oh, see, if you're, you're probably like, What? Oh, sorry, I burst your bubble, whatever, okay. So what I told him was, this is a perfectly teachable moment to talk about the truth of the gospel with his daughter. I told him he needs to talk about death in a real way, a way that doesn't minimize what happened to Sunflower, and then help his daughter to understand the pain she feels is hatred towards death and sin, that death is an enemy and we're supposed to hate it because death is a result of sin in our lives. I told him he gets to then talk about the greatness of Jesus, that Jesus died and Jesus rose from the grave to defeat death for his people. And though our bodies are still decaying, Jesus saves us up and for eternal life. Through the death of sunflower, the gospel gets to be plain. It's a beautiful thing. It helps his daughter not only understand the vileness of sin, but also the strength and the majesty and the love of Jesus who died the death we should have died, and he has given us his life. If you have a Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, death doesn't have to be something that Christians run from. It can be the perfect opportunity to help our kids and everyone around us understand the greatness of Jesus, because Jesus is great. So, what did they do with Sunflower? I think they ate her. No, I'm kidding. They buried her. Okay? (laughs) Like, I know, I'm so ins- Well, you didn't awe at the photo. I can say whatever I want. Okay, no. They buried her. They buried her. But, guys, the, the truth is, our hope isn't in how we dispose of our bodies. Our hope is in the person of Jesus. And whether we submit to burial or cremation, it's not the body that, that ultimately is what we have hope in. It's in the person of Jesus. So, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 53 to 58, the Apostle Paul says this, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass that the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin 
sin is the law. <clears throat> but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's the focus of our lives is meant to be the gospel. The good news that Jesus is the one who has rescued us and saved us, and he is the one who brings us home and pulls us out of the cold, clammy hands of death. And I think if and when you plan one day your inevitable death, we should be a people who think more along the lines of the people who say goodbye who are there. What do we want them to know? What do we want them to hear? I encourage a lot of people before they die nowadays, because you can do this, to make a video. What do you want people to know? And if you really love Jesus, send their focus there to that point. Remind them that we don't need to sound like pagans. We don't need to say things like, oh, they're watching over me or they'll always be with me. No, they won't. If they're believers and they're with Jesus, they got better things to do than to see how we're screwing up our lives. Like, no, please don't look at them. No, no, they got better things to do than to look at us all the time. We should have a focus to recenter people always on the work of Jesus, not us. One of my favorite authors, his name is Timothy George, and he wrote, whether final disposition is by burial or cremation, the Christian church should offer a funeral liturgy in which the reality of death is not camouflaged and the resurrection of the body is affirmed. And so he says, in the funerals he does, he says this. He says, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, ensure and certain hope of the resurrection into eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remind each other that we brought nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out but what we can leave behind is a legacy that points to who jesus christ is from a christian perspective burial has been the pattern in scriptures it has been historically followed by the church but cremation is no hindrance to the omnipotent power of god when he wants to put us back one day into resurrected bodies Um, And so that doesn't mean I'm advocating for cremation. I'm not advocating for burial. I'm just telling you what it is. You get to pray about it and figure out. People always say, though, but what do you think? Like, it's really important what I think what you do. Okay, it's not. But what do I think? I tell my wife this, and I'm sorry if you find this offensive, uh, but I tell her the day that I cannot take care of my own business in the bathroom, I say, just sit me out to the forest and let me go walking. (laughs) It's all pride. I know. Pride is sin. I get it. Satan got kicked out of heaven for it, but... I'll go walking in the forest for it, okay? Because I just don't want someone to take care of me. And if you ask ask a lot of people, what do you want people to remember at your funeral? A lot of people say things like, well, I want people to know that I love them. Guys, if you want people to know that you love them, love them now. Not when you die. Love them now. At my funeral, I want people to hear about Jesus. That's what I want people to hear about. You don't have to say things about me that aren't true. I know I'm a terrible person most of the time. I don't care what my family's going to think. They know I'm a knucklehead. Last Thursday, my, my mom called me. She's, you know, you have a mom. You know what they're like, right? And she's like, and, and I got irritated, and, and I snapped at her. We talked about it this morning, by the way, right before this message. So it's an example, right? So, so I talked to her, and I apologized. She knows I'm a, I'm a terrible knucklehead most of the time. I mean, my friends know that I can let them down. I, if, you, if you've been here a while, you know sometimes I can be a terrible pastor. I'm not perfect, but I can let my neighbors down and, and all kinds of people. But my hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one who rescues me. My goodness isn't what makes me wonderful. My God is what makes me good. He has rescued me. He has saved me. And though there are times I forget about him in my decisions, he has never once forgotten about me. That's what's important. My hope is not in how I'm burned or how I'm buried. My future isn't measured in how often I remember God. It's measured in how God remembers me. That's what I want people to know. 
I mean, he is the one who rescues. He's the one who saved. And I want people to stop thinking about me, and I want them to start thinking about Jesus. And that also means if I want people to think about Jesus at my funeral, I should live in a way so they think about Jesus now by how I live. See how that works? It's kind of interesting, right? Because our focus should not be just upon our death, except in the idea of what do we want people to know about the life that we lived. That's where it should come from. We should, we should be a people who live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And remember that it doesn't matter if you're buried or cremated. That is up to you and God. Jesus, what do you want me to do? And you can pray that out loud and Jesus will probably say, I don't care. I'll put you back together anyway. You know, I, 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 I think that our, our lives must be more centered in how we live out the goodness of the gospel now. I mean, you look at our country. We are so divided today. What's going to bring people together? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. It's not us trying to come, well, if they would do this, if they would that. No, if we would all worship Jesus first, we would have unity. That's what the scriptures teach. That is how the early church got over all their weird hatred towards Gentiles, is they centered themselves in the person of Jesus first. And when they did that, everything came back together. And we are meant to be a people who do the same thing every day of our lives. Guys, burn or buried? We should have a sense of urgency in how we live our lives today. Pointing to ultimately, yes, one day we will die. One day we will. But what are people going to remember of our life? Hopefully they remember who Jesus is. So even at our funeral, we can point to the same place and say, this is who I loved. This is who I followed. And I want everybody to follow him. Because this is what makes our life actually have purpose and meaning. Who Jesus calls us to be, just like Adam in the garden. God lays out the good for his people and continues to restore the good for his people. This is why we come to communion every week. It's a reminder of what he has done to rescue us. That's why you break that cracker, because his body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, because his blood was shed for you and I. It's a remembrance of what he has done, that he died the death that we deserve. So that we can no longer have to we no longer have to be separated in relationship from our great God. We get to have restoration and reconciliation again. And this is what it represents. The band's gonna come up. As they do, we might take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. If you guys would like prayer, uh, they would love to pray with you about this. If if this is one of these things that has kept you up at night, like I don't know, am I gonna be burned or buried? I honestly I honestly haven't hardly spent any time in my life thinking about it until I got this question. Um, but, but if you worry about that, they'd love to pray with you about it. And if you are thinking about today how you are living your life and how it doesn't represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'd love to pray with you about that. If you don't know who Jesus is, they'd really love to pray with you about that. Because we are meant to be a people who see the world through the lens that God has placed in front of us. How he has called us to live, how he has called us to be, because he is simply good. And that's what we live out. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, giving is part of our worship. We do not pass the plate. It's a response to what he's done, so you actually have to get up and do that. Uh, there's some food in the back. Grab something to eat. We encourage you to, as you grab something to eat, meet some other people. And, and this week, grab some of the sermon notes. Maybe ask some of those questions with each other. Uh, you know, you can have a great discussion. So, well, what do you want to be, burned or buried? I don't care. You know, you can, you can talk about those things. But, but then maybe you get people close enough in your life where they can ask you hard things about, if you died today, what would people remember about your life? What would they remember about what, what was the center and focus of who you are? Not within these walls, but outside these walls. You know, the people who know you at your workplace. 
uh, your family, who knows you the best, what would they say is the center and focus of your life? Because in the end, I think how we end, we should work our way back from there. Like, what do we want to be remembered? And then work our way back from that. And if we want people to say, man, that person loved Jesus like crazy, then let's begin to love Jesus like crazy now so that everybody knows the goodness of who he is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us uh, to understand uh, your grace and your love for us deeper than we ever have. That we would understand that there is a day when this physical shell will perish. And that you are a God who can be trusted with our future destiny. And that you would remind us that it's not just our future, but it's our present. That you have stepped into. That eternal life begins now. Today. And that when we speak about our future hope, it's also a present hope. That the gospel is meant to be lived out today and then into eternity. Father, we thank you that you haven't left us here on our own, though sometimes death feels that way. And that one day you will say to these physical bodies, come awake from your sleep and arise. And we will raise into new life. That upon our death, We do go and spend eternity with you, but you also take and remake and renew like you do all things. So teach us to trust you for our present and future hope. And that by how we live and what we say and how we love is all reflected of how you first done that for us. And that we would be great agents for hope in this world because you have brought us great hope. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.